The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I am Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Rev. Dan Beckett. And together we discuss ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth and your recovery journey. So today's show is meant to be an interactive discussion. So if you're listening live, you can call in with your comments and questions. And the number is 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. Facebook users, you can also connect with us on our Facebook page, which is Spirit of Recovery, to share your thoughts and comments. So today's show is titled Betrayed. Now what? Has your trust ever been shattered? Have you ever felt betrayed by someone, perhaps an authority figure? Many of us in recovery will say yes to those questions. But do we want to spend the rest of our lives in distrust and fear? No, we do not. So then... How do we regain trust if we've lost confidence in another? And what is the path to regaining trust in our higher power and in others around us? And we'll begin by sharing our own experiences of feeling distrustful of others and then move into the solution of releasing old ways of seeing and really embracing the community. And then after the break, we'll share exactly how we used release and the harmonizing power of love to live confidently. So, Lonnie, I'm going to guess you've had experiences of trust being, and let's just say, mis-abused. Let's call it that. Abused trust, yes. I, You know, there are so many people that I talk with that I, I'll say, well, have you talked to so-and-so about that? They go, well, I have trust issues. You know, and it always takes me back because I have trust issues or I had trust issues. I don't have near as many today. But I think back about being a kid and when did this all start you know and and I and I can't pinpoint the exact date and time that I realized that you know in retrospect that I was distrustful but I can remember being a pretty nervous kid pretty pretty high strung kind of anxious and I was always on the move wanting to do something um you know, trying to get out of the moment, out of the day, deal with my anxiety. In retrospect, that's what I think happened. And along the path, this entire path of my uh, childhood and, and young adulthood, I realized that now that I w- was afraid of people and I just did not trust anybody. 
I have that same experience of uh, just generally being wary, I would say, wary of people, uh, you know, particularly people I didn't know or didn't know well or was new to. Uh, it has always been important to me. Uh, well, let me say, in, in order to feel comfortable historically, I've had to feel like I understand what's going on. And to understand what's going on, uh, I need to understand sort of what a person's deal is. You know, how are they showing up? I've definitely been skeptical uh, in different ways my whole life. Uh, I don't think being skeptical is necessarily a a bad thing unless it's sort of running my life. You know, if I don't have a choice, I mean, there's a big difference between skeptical as in, oh yeah, they're full of it, and skeptical as in, I think there might be more here than meets the eye, which is more how I am uh, now. If I feel like there's more than meets the eye, I think that's fine to be. So there's not so much, um, uh, you know, I think the difference there is how much charge is behind it, you know, how much fear or anger is underneath it. Um, but I've always, I've always felt like um, I'm not sure that what I'm seeing is what's really going on. You know, I had a, kind of an opposite experience where I was told one thing and something else was going on. And so in that experience, I learned not to trust my gut, not to trust my instinct, not to trust my own own um, perceptions. And, and that, it kind of, um, it really created some situations in my life and created anxiety, of course, because I might think or feel this way or intuit one thing, but I'm being told something else. And I, I want to believe the authority figures around me. I want to believe the adults that are in charge. I want to believe that I'm being told the truth. They tell me they're telling me the truth. And of course, years and years later, I find out that it was skewed because of addiction and other things that were going on at that time. And so my coping mechanism was to try to control what's going on, try to predict the future, try to scheme and manipulate and plan so that if I do this, they'll probably do that. You know, try to figure out what I could do that would steer the conversation or the activities in a different direction than, than the direction they normally took. One way that distrust generally showed up in my life, and you know, I'm, I'm also, I think, like you, thinking way back because it, it's been my experience, and I see in others that these things don't usually start in our 30s, you know, or our 20s. They tend to start much earlier than that. At least that's um, my own personal experience. But I have spent time. Um, fortunately, I'm almost never this way. It's not impossible. But I have spent a lot of time just being generally cynical about the world. And and one way that that shows up is in uh, just basically distrusting people's motives. You know, I can still get uh, glimpses of that sometimes because um, I think it's reasonable to say that people's motives are not always what they appear to be. Now, you know, how much of that needs to show up in inside me as fear or anxiety or whatnot? That's a whole other question. You know, I don't want I don't want my inner experience of the world to be dependent on uh, how much in, uh, integrity someone else is in. You know, people are going to do what they're going to do. But I do know that I had developed a cynical streak early on surrounding basically not believing that 
the way that people showed up, you know, what they said uh, they were interested in or looking for or whatever, not really believing that that is actually what they were looking for or not. And maybe they knew it, maybe they didn't. I mean, I know it's certainly possible to show up and, and be thinking, well, I'm here for X when, when really that's not going on, but I might not know that. So I got to cut a little bit of a break, but yeah, that's no fun generally distrusting people's motives. So I mentioned earlier about this crazy-making situation where I would observe one thing and be told something else. And that led me to um, misunderstand the word trust as well as the word love, you know, and uh, because it was interpreted and mislabeled. Don't you trust me? And then something would happen where I would be hurt. And the appropriate response would be, no, I don't trust you, but I love you. And so I'm supposed to trust you. If I, if I love you, I'm supposed to trust you. So you can see that there's some tangled up old ideas there about the way that the world works. And so I learned trusting. Uh, well, no, I learned that when I, what I thought was trust was based on inappropriate and lack of boundaries. I didn't really have a clear idea of how would you go about discerning whether you trust somebody or not, whether I should uh, extend myself or not, whether this was safe or not. And it was because of the, the being told one thing and uh, experiencing something different and that cognitive dissonance of trying to make sense of that, which, of course, you can't make sense of crazy. So That is true. And I think that's a really hard question, and I can even ask myself that now. How do I know if a situation is okay to be in or not? How do I know if someone is saying what's really true for them or, or some, uh, something other than that for some reason or other? I don't know. I know that another way that um, being cynical showed up for me is that I tended to look at the world as a problem or maybe even at best as a challenge. Um, and, and, one way that that's shifted is uh, I tend less to see it that way now uh, as a problem and, and more of an opportunity. I mean, it's almost the stereotypical shift uh, or, um, you know, difference between a, a problem and an opportunity or a problem always has an opportunity in it or whatever. Um, but when I would think of it the world in general as a problem, there was a certain amount of powerlessness that went to it. Because in order for me to see it as an opportunity, I have to have a certain amount of um, sort of, um, you know, a base confidence that I have some influence in this situation. That's what makes it an opportunity. If I don't feel like I have any power in a situation, then it'd be pretty hard to see something as an opportunity. And I know that I would see things more as a problem or at best as a challenge. I'm grateful that today I definitely tend more towards seeing things as an opportunity, although um, that doesn't mean stuff's not challenging. It is still sometimes. But I remember, you know, if I think about how was I distrusting in general in my life uh, in the past, that's one way. Seeing everything is a hassle. That's a really interesting relationship that you just brought up between powerlessness and trust. And I'm, and I'm kind of pondering on that, that, you know, many of the situations I've described earlier, I was absolutely powerless. And I think by labeling it as I trust them, whoever the them was, that that made it okay with me. 
you know, because it was based on trust, which was mislabeled. It was not trust. It was, I didn't have any power in that situation. And so there was no trust involved. I had, I couldn't give or take away the trust. There wasn't any there. One of the ways that I knew I was in those kind of situations as my life progressed, the, the disease process progresses and I would react out of proportion to an incident. Something would happen and I would go off the deep end. I would be nearly hysterical about it. I remember one incident at work where I heard this guy's voice, happened to be my boss, I had authority figure issues, came in one door and I left out the other door. I knew he was coming in to see me, but I was triggered by something with that situation to remember a past circumstance, and it was way out of proportion, but yet I am reacting out of these old feelings and these old uh, distrust, and I am not going to get trapped, and I am not going to be put in that situation. had nothing to do with the current situation. Today, I know that that means that I was stuck in, in this old system you know, this old belief system that, that it was historical. If it's hysterical, if it's, it's historical, that's, that's <laughs> the way that. I remember that. And then I know where to go for the solution because it's not in the past. <laughs> Absolutely. One way I know that I, I used to express um, feeling distrustful is I generally tended to isolate, you know, seek solitude. Uh, I'm an introvert, and so that's uh, a natural thing for me to do. And again, there's nothing particularly wrong with that. I think it's just a matter of degree. Um, and and I ended up cho choosing uh, some solitary career options. You know, I got heavily into computers, which is generally a solitary thing, uh, kind of work um, to be doing. And I know that I, in general, uh, was very reluctant to let people know how I was feeling. You know, even if I had physical pain like a stomach ache or something like that, the last thing I wanted to do was talk about that. You know, I talk talking about something like feeling sick or afraid was a last resort for sure. So I've shared that I got to a point where I couldn't really even tell the true from the false because my perceptions colored my view of the world, the, the perceptions my, from my past. And so I, I came into my uh, young adulthood and into my addiction with this fear of authority figures and fear of people in general, although I wouldn't have classified it as such. You know, yes. I was just high anxiety at that point. And I transferred that to God as I misunderstood God at that point in time. Authority figure? don't need it. <laughs> yeah, I share that just general tension, you know, body tension. I, I can even feel it now, kind of how I used to carry myself uh, physically is different now than it was before. And that's because of that just uh, fear and, and tension that I carried. So now that we know about this challenge of generally distrusting others and what, what it's like to live that way, what is the solution? Well, in unity, we affirm that we have an ability to let go of old patterns of thought and to embrace a new harmony in life. We, of course, do this when we recognize that our old ways of being are no longer serving us. They may have had a purpose back then, but they're not serving us now. So we look for and we find new ways to relate to others that feel safe and supportive given who we are today. And so we do this by using the powers of release— and the harmonizing power of love. And so that's what we want to focus on today. So what do we mean when we talk about release and love? What are these things exactly? What do you think? Well, those are really good questions. You know, I'd, I, um, 
I did not know how to let go of anything. Power of release, the ability to let go. You know, I've uh, uh, come from a family of hoarders. We've got stuff that my great-grandmother had, uh, and it's like, oh, there's a memory attached to that. Oh, there's a feeling attached to that. I did not have any ability. So I had to learn how to do this. How do I release? How do I let go? How do I get unstuck? You know, I heard a saying early on uh, in in my recovery community that that I really liked. Uh, I had never thought about it, but when someone shared this, I, I had to admit to myself that I kind of felt the same way. And what I heard was uh, this, I never let go of anything that didn't have claw marks on it. You know, I let go of things very reluctantly. It's something I've had to learn to do. Uh, you know, releasing things, that idea that, well, I might need this later. So I, maybe I shouldn't let it go. Or if I let this go, I don't know what's going to happen next. And then that seems worse than what I've got here in front of me. You know, I'll stick with the uh, the devil I know rather than um, move into a place of, of uncertainty. One way that I have seen release in my life is, is in that sense of leaving things behind. So uh, certainly I left uh, drinking behind. And more recently, I've left smoking behind. Um, those are a couple big uh, examples for me of things that I have let go of, you know, and, and those were um, addictions. Yes, habits, for sure. Uh, ways of being in the world, also, also that, kind of all of the above. So we talk often about letting go of that which no longer serves us. And I love that phrase. And uh, that certainly applies to me when I think about uh, releasing uh, drinking and more recently releasing smoking. Although uh, I have to say, as Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore famously said, I reserve the right to change my mind about the smoking. I have no intention of drinking again. I'm still mad about the smoking. <laughs> I have to joke or, you know, I have to laugh so I don't cry about all that. It's insane. I know. And that's part of it. So one of the things that I've learned is I can change my physical habits um, when I put my mind to it, but they don't stay changed. And I can, I can determine that I'm going to, you know, go to the gym twice a week forever and I make it twice. You know, I mean, it just, it just is really difficult to do to change the, um, inertia, to change the direction and the focus and the velocity at which my life is moving into a new direction, a two degree turn, if you will. And one of the things that I have learned is that it's not as important about the behavior because the behavior will follow if I can change my thinking. And so the power of release, I have to change my thinking. I have to let go of the idea that drives that. And that, and that idea may be I'm not good enough. It may be um, that's not going to work. It may be if nobody loves me, I'm unlovable. I mean, there's all kinds of un, unhelpful uh, subconscious ideas that for me have surfaced over the years that I have to let go of. I have to be willing to let go of, but I don't even know I have them until I have some behavior showing up. And then I go, oh, I wonder what that's about. And so getting to another level and replacing those old ideas, which are my pain points, with something else, for me, um, I had to lean on principles. I couldn't trust people, so I had to lean on principles because principles don't change, I was told. So I made a choice early on to do that. 
I like that replacing old ideas because uh, one way that release shows it up in my life. So I talked a minute ago about, uh, you know, I stopped drinking, stopped smoking. So just sort of release things with nothing new taking their place. But another way it shows up is in, in almost like a switch, like fi- a, a swap, finding new ways uh, to be. So one uh, example that comes to mind is I generally have a habit today of looking for the best in others. Um, it's not to say that I am uh, unable to see some qualities that may not be their best. That's not that's not what's going on. But rather, I choose to look for uh, the very best in them. I, you know, in addition to all the other things I may be taking in about a person, and that's. That's been a shift for me. So that way of finding a new way to do something. Uh, so instead of generally looking to avoid a new person, you know, if I if I would encounter a new person uh, long in the past, uh, I, that's the last thing I wanted. I don't even want to interact with them, let alone know anything about them, let alone look for good things in them. I would rather just uh, not be around them. Uh, that was my default. But now instead, I found a new way, and that's to look for the best. It's all I can sort of play the do it like it's a game or something look for the best in others and for me i had to release judgment um you know criticism fear which i translate as future events appearing real you know i mentioned earlier how i had this really great projection system that i trained as a young person to figure out what's going to happen next and who's going to do what and then you know kind of steer between the lines of that and so I had to first I had to catch myself doing that and then allow myself to back up a step and go wait a minute let's see what they do I had to learn to take the observer that was the uh, intermediate step in releasing another way that I found a new way to be is to um, generally seek common ground with others I used to be far more inclined to and again this is out of uh, you know out of fear is to look for um, look for ways that I was not compatible look for uh, ways to disagree or or you know quote what's wrong with that other person but rather than that now I've I've released that and and found a new way and my new way is to seek common ground so even even with folks that I feel like uh, we we seem diametrically opposite, you know. Maybe uh, as a minister, for me, in in terms of say religious beliefs, um, I can still look for common ground uh, with that person and and choose to focus on finding that. And again, it's not like I don't see the other stuff. Yes, I do see it. That's a given. I just don't stop there. I take another step. I've let go of kind of shying away once I realize eh, this person doesn't see things the way I do and instead look for uh, areas of things we might have in common. It's been wonderful. Yeah, and that really speaks to the power of love. It, it, that's, I think, where it makes that shift um, into what do we have in common instead of what do we, what separates us, you know, where we start aligning hearts and minds and spirits with one another rather than separating. And that has been, um, you know, that has been a real blessing. And I learned to do that in the program and in the group. 
You know, no, this is the way we do that. This is the principle behind this, and this is why we do this this way. Okay, so we all line up and we we start going the same direction. And so the power of love has been very powerful uh, in in my recovery in bringing me into alignment with a uh, right sized set of ideals and principles. Yeah, that word love is is so um, it, it has so many potential meanings. I often have to step back and and ask myself, you know, what, what exactly am I saying here? Cause I love going to the beach and I love pizza, but that's not what we're talking about here. Uh, in terms of making a fundamental life change, like we do, uh, on our recovery journey, I'm thinking of love as that harmonizing aspect of love that, that, um, that force that, uh, draws things into community with one another like I was saying a minute ago, in spite of differences, you know, it's that thing that looks for the common ground and builds um, connections based on that common ground. And so when we talk about the power of love as it relates to, you know, moving from generally distrusting the world to living confidently, I'm thinking of it as that uh, that aspect that harmonizes things, that brings things in a sense into balance, not just balance, because that seems feels two-dimensional, but harmony, which feels uh, multi-dimensional to me. And that fits with my concept of the group conscience, because you've got 50 people in a group, in a spiritual community, in a church, wherever, that all have individual experiences and individual ideas about how the world works and how their life works and how these principles work in their lives, and how can you ever get consensus on anything? And yet, you know, the principle of trust is is behind the uh, idea of a group conscience, which is that our higher power acts through the consciousness of the group as a whole, and that the group as a whole has this collective awareness of the spiritual principles that operate. Each of us have a piece. We don't, eat, any one of us, have the whole answer. And and so that really, for me, started focusing, uh, it, it, it started, jump-started my ability to trust. I had trust in a few individuals in the group, and then I saw the group conscience at work, and a greater good came out of the group conscience that would ever come out of one or two or three people brainstorming, and I began to trust the process. I feel like I learned uh, in the recovery group setting um, to, again, this is sort of a new habit, like release an old way of seeing, substitute a new way of seeing, uh, assuming others are valuable by default. I think in the past, and again, this is because of fear, not not malice, uh, because of fear on my part, I, I really think I did not see others as valuable unless they had something that I wanted or a quality I admired or something like that. Um, now, instead, I I try to go in assuming that everyone is valuable. I just don't know exactly what that looks like now if I don't, if I don't know somebody. Um, and that's been a big shift for me. That's been both a released and a harmonizing aspect. So why don't we hold that thought because it's time for a short break. And when we come back, we would love to hear from you as we continue this conversation. The phone number is 816-251-3555. Please stay with us.
Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. If you've been inspired by the programming on Unity Online Radio, we hope you will give your support so others may be inspired too. This online radio network depends on the support of listeners like you to continue operating and expand its outreach. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate today. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Catherine Ponder, taken from a classic talk called The Prosperous Truth, recorded at Unity of Austin in 1991. God is extravagant supply. Get that, extravagant. God is extravagant supply. He brings forth the best robe. He spreads a banquet table, as we saw last night, with good things on which we may feast. He overflows our cup. He opens the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing. And then this is what the Unity Correspondence Course said. Why are you satisfied with such meager living when you may have so much? To find out more about Unity teachings, visit unity.org. Did you know February 17th is the beginning of Kindness Week? It's a time to perform acts of kindness for others. And during that week only, Unity Books is offering a special deal on its random acts of kindness journal titled, Write It on Your Heart. Buy one and get one free. This beautiful book suggests different ways you can perform acts of kindness, then has room to journal about your experience. Find it at unitybooks.org kindness. Now's the time to register for this year's Heart of Healing Retreat, hosted by the leaders of the Silent Unity Prayer Ministry. Imagine coming to the beautiful campus of Unity Village with its fountains and rose garden to rest and renew your spirit as you explore the spiritual principles of healing. You'll spend time in silence as well as celebration. The retreat is April 25th to 28th with an early bird discount before March 1st. Visit unity.org slash silentunityretreat. Enroll in the Mystery School with Maggie Whitehouse every Monday at 2 p.m. Central. Based in the U.K., Maggie is a maverick priest, comedian, and writer that'll introduce you to all things mystical. Join in the conversation with some fascinating guests and explore topics like Kabbalah, the divine feminine, shamanism, and a lot more. Explore some new ideas and provocative topics, all delivered with a sense of humor. Check out our online schedule or get the podcast on demand here on unityonlineradio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. 
We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, I am Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm here with Reverend Dan Beckett, and we're going to resume our discussion in a moment. But first, we want you to let you know that the phone lines are open. So if you have a question or a comment to share, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. So just prior to the break, we were discussing this concept of betrayal and distrust and how this is probably very nearly a universal human experience. We've all felt disappointed or hurt by someone at some point, sometimes an authority figure, sometimes by others, but that sets the tone for our life. And so, Dan, now that we know that this challenge is this general distrust of others, and that the solution is letting go of old fears and becoming part of the community, exactly how can we release, use the power of release and the harmonizing power of love to live confidently? One thing I learned early on, somewhere along the way, I'm not even sure where exactly this came from. I, I remember a friend of mine, you know, years like in my late teens, even maybe early twenties, um, floating this concept that just stuck with me. And it's a concept of doing an experiment. You know, if I'm tired of the way that things are now, if, if I don't want to, uh, live a life where I'm generally distrusting others, but, um, because that's how I have been living, maybe I don't have the skills or maybe I have the skills, but I don't know it or, or I'm lacking some confidence about being a different way. I can, I can do what I can think of as a simple experiment. Like, okay, I'm going to go say hello to that person and ask them how they're doing and, and then just see what happens, you know, and if they look at me like I'm a total idiot and I need to go away, then I'll walk away, you know, so what? Uh, of course, that's not what happens if I'd gone to someone and say, hello, how are you doing? You know, I just get generally get a response back and it's like, oh, oh they're, they're as nervous or more than I am <laughs> to be talking to me. So I'm among friends here. You know, this is okay. But by, by doing something small where, where the, the, the downside is something that I, uh, you know, could uh, anticipate and be okay with. So that's how small it needs to be. Um, that let me sort of one little step at a time uh, test in a way, you know, test some new ways of being in the world. So that's one answer I have is do little experiments that, that are on a scale small enough where it's safe, but really, you know, kind of poke at those old assumptions that are, that are keeping me distrustful. The turning point came in my recovery uh, when I was working with a therapist who pointed out, she said, you can make a choice. You can continue to live the way you're living in fear and anxiety, distrusting others, uh, being afraid of authority figures, etc. Or you can make a choice to trust, knowing that you will occasionally be disappointed or let down. And I had to think about that. But I, I was so tired, as you said, of being miserable, of being in that place, of being distrustful, that I decided to do this experiment, as you were just describing. I thought, okay, so when I'm in this situation, I am going to pretend that I trust them. Act as if, if you will. And those experiments went pretty well as long as I practiced the other piece of this, which was to 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 share some, not all. I shared earlier in the show how I was... Um, uh, lacking boundaries. And so it's either I trusted you all the way with everything in my life or I didn't trust you at all. You know, it was an all or none kind of kind of worldview. And so I was told to practice the concept of some. Don't tell somebody your whole life story. You start with where you are right now. 
you know, it, and when somebody says, well, how are you doing? You don't tell them about your last five doctor visits and therapy visits. And all, you talk about how are you right this very minute? So practicing the concept of some and sharing just a little bit enough that I'm not going to be hurt if somebody rejects it or turns it down or walks away from me or what have you. And choosing to trust somebody with some little piece of information about me was the beginning of my recovery in that area. One thing I know I did early on in recovery to um, begin to move into living confidently was to find things about the recovery community meetings that I liked. And again, this is related to that um, little game that I talked about that I would play. It was like, well, instead of sort of being generally defensive and avoidant, uh, why don't I uh, make a game out of looking for something that I like and then focus on whatever that might be? Um, and honestly, uh, I, you know, still my distrust, cynicism, dismay, uh, even still very present uh, in me at the beginning of my recovery journey. But one thing that I might like is to stand outside after the meeting with a couple friends and smoke cigarettes and bitch about the things I don't like about the meeting. <laughs> Ironically, I was finding a way to connect, even if it was just with my couple of friends afterward. I was doing the best that I could and finding a way to connect, even if that way uh, you know, wasn't the, the very best I could do nowadays. Um, but just you know, realizing that, oh man, I can't believe so-and-so saying that same story again. And then I can joke with it about it with my friends afterward. It, that's a way to make it okay. And, and that's opposed to just shutting up about it, not telling anyone and just walking away, which isn't helping me or anybody at all. Somebody gave me a tool and it's related to the principle of honesty. And they said, Okay, so you haven't had boundaries around trusting and you're practicing. Here's a tool you can use. Observe, does somebody's words and actions match? If the words and actions do not match, they say one thing, they do something else, that's probably not somebody that you want to be associated with on a, on a more emotionally intimate level. It's somebody you want to put in your outer circle, not your inner circle. And that really gave me something to hang on to um, as I started working on trusting myself, you know, that that, okay, I'm observing this, but it doesn't line up with that. They talk a really good game when they're in a meeting. But when they're outside of the meeting halls, I see all kinds of stuff that doesn't line up with what they're saying inside. And so um, that's that should raise a red flag for me. And it does. And so that's one of the very first criteria that um, that was helpful to me to say, I can use this as a tool. Do somebody's words and actions match? I love that way of seeing it. It's so it seems so obvious now, but but it's so simple and so powerful uh, because I I do believe that we know, you know, if I if I took a few minutes to do exactly what you're suggesting, uh, I'm confident that even years ago, I would be able to um, discern the difference there. And that's a great criteria. One thing I learned uh, partly along the way and then sort of overtly some years into recovery was about creating a support system around me, you know, in, in order to. Uh, build kind of internal supports, internal strength uh, for being uh, out in the world, perhaps in ways that I didn't really uh, have internal supports before. Um, one way to go about that is to you know, purposely build 
um, a support system around me. Um, early on, of course, that that support system was the uh, really good advice that I w- w- was given, that I've heard given, that I have given, which says go to 90 meetings in 90 days, get a sponsor and work the steps. So I did that. And that was the beginning, uh, although I didn't even recognize it as such, as creating a support system around me. And I have found, uh, you know, there are several ways that I've done that. And I'll, I'll share more about that in a little bit. But just the idea of creating something outside of me, like a group or a habit or something that will translate over time, I found into internal supports that are no longer, um, you know, related to, or certainly not dependent on outer circumstances, although they may have started as outer circumstances, like, Oh, I'll go, I'll go to the meeting. I always feel better after I went to a meeting. And so I'm, I have an internal situation. Um, I'm comfortable. I want to change it. I'm doing it with an external action. If I do that long enough, um, you know, I still like going to the meeting, but I don't need it. You know, I can, I can be okay inside myself, uh, by myself without, needing an external piece, but man, but, you know, building that support system around me became a theme and it was just it's so helpful over and, con- and continues to be. Similar to what you were sharing there, I mine built one on another, you know, so if I'm observing that somebody's words and actions match, then I can be a little bit closer to them. I trust them with a little more information. I trust them with a little more of my fears or whatever it may be. I trust them with a little bit more of my story. And, and incrementally, I begin to trust an individual. And I spoke earlier about in a group conscience, seeing that the greater good came out of the the whole that wouldn't ever come out of two or three people talking, I began to develop a trust in the process and the and a trust in what I consider to be my higher power. And I developed a trust in spiritual principles, you know, the spiritual principle of honesty. Okay, if I start there, then my life is going to straighten out, you know, and if I apply faith to that and point my faith in the right direction, point it toward spiritual principles, point it toward a belief system that supports me, then I am going to be better off than I was previously. And so my trust has kind of unfolded layer by layer by layer as I learn the tools and the principles that uh, support me in that. You know, I heard a saying early on that I always liked, and it it says that if I walk 10 miles into the woods, then I'm probably going to need to walk 10 miles out of the woods. Uh, One way that I found that uh, helpful is uh, just the analog. If I spent 30 years uh, in in my life with uh, drinking as sort of a, a major coping mechanism, it it might take more than six months to undo all of that. You know, this might be a uh, lifetime journey. Given that, um, you know, my drinking career is, it was a it was a huge part of a lifetime. And, and a corollary to that that I picked up along the way is that all, all of these things, you know, these fears that I carried, they, they came into my awareness at, at some point in some way. And I learned that if I'm going to release them, if I'm going to let them go, if I want to live confidently in the world and release some of those fears, they're going to go out the same way they came in, which is in my conscious awareness and experience. I am not going to be able to kind of hustle these things out the back door without uh, experiencing the full 
um, you know, overwhelming feeling of that fear or whatever it might be. And for that reason, it was advised to me, and I found this to be very important, that um, those of us on who are spiritual travelers really need to be getting body work as we go because our emotions live in our body. We can always feel an emotion somewhere in our body, uh, a troubling emotion that we bury, we've buried somewhere uh, in our body as well, and it's going to cause trouble in that area. And so it makes a lot of sense to um, be able to take a break and, and go get a chair massage or whatever um, as part of our uh, process, not not even taking a break from it, but as an important and central part of our process because, man, th things leave the same way they came in and we could use some physical support for that as well. Another thing that happened along the way for me was as I learned to trust individuals whose words and actions matched and I learned to trust the group conscience, I began to learn to trust myself. I would have an inkling of an idea. You know, I was powering through on the power of intellect and will. You know, check mark, check mark, check mark, did all these, learned all these tools, apply them in this situation, and my life will be okay. But that, that was all external. You know, that was not actually changing anything in my internal structures until I developed some level of trust that this was actually going to work, you know, that it was actually going to change my life. And then as, so I, as I began to, to acquire these layers of trust that I've described already, then I began to go, oh, well, I'm having this feeling, like you said, maybe in my body, or I'm having this this inkling, this idea that has come through my mind twice now, that maybe what I'm thinking about doing is not a good idea, that I start paying attention to those. And I start either talking them over with somebody or um, researching them or um, you, praying about them, you know, taking them to meditation. And I started recognizing some uh, intuition, if you will. Some, um, you know, it was kind of like it was waking up. It had been asleep for so long. One thing I learned to do along the way is to gather with like-minded people. And that all started um, with the recovery community, although it, it expanded beyond that for me uh, over the years. Uh, one way that I was able to hang around with like-minded people, you know, people on a spiritual growth journey, you know, whether they were in addiction recovery or not, is through retreats. I've done a lot of weekend retreats, you know, getting together with people who just generally want to live a confident life, that have a concept of a higher power that's important to them, as do I, um, and, and being able to get together with them, even though they're not in recovery, some were, uh, most were not, uh, really helped me to sort of uh, open my world and realize, okay, so, so not only can I connect with these people that I have this common experience with addiction recovery, I can connect with people who don't have an addiction recovery experience, but I still have a lot in common with them. We're still both uh, seekers. You know, we're looking for um, ways to live in the world that feel good and right. We want to be helpful in the world. We want to leave behind fears that used to um, drive how we how we showed up in the world. So going on retreats and hanging around with like-minded people, even if they weren't uh, literally uh, recovery community people, is is a way that 
I found uh, to ground myself to get more integrated with the world. And it helped me a lot to learn more about uh, trusting people and, and to live confidently. It was really surprising to me when I started attending retreats to, to realize that we didn't all have to be in the same club, you know, to be related. And it was um, pointed out to me that there's a line in the recovery literature that talks about how we are only in spiritual kindergarten. And, you know, there comes a point in time where to expand our spiritual horizons, we have to expand our communities that we're involved with. Um, and we have to become a citizen of the world as opposed to a citizen of the meeting on the corner and or of only a particular church or only a particular faith tradition. And so those things helped me learn to trust that people, um, that people were in alignment with their principles and ideals the same way that I was with mine. And there was a great deal of overlap with that. Something that I, I feel like I've generally been pretty good at in life, but I learned to embrace more is just downtime. I, it, it's, it's perfect. It's not only perfectly reasonable to have downtime. I know that it's really important for me to have downtime. It's, it's not a doing nothing time. It is a uh, refreshing regrouping um, kind of time. Uh, it, it sometimes feels like, okay, I'm, I'm sort of setting aside all my activities in the world and I'm going to do nothing instead. Now it's not literally nothing, but I'm going to do, uh, I'm not going to do anything that has to do with my, you know, major roles out, out there in the world. I'm going to, uh, sit around and I'm going to watch shows on Netflix or I'm going to, um, take a walk, uh, just for fun. You know, not because I'm bettering myself. I'm not going, I'm going to go to the gym to better myself. No, I'm just going to hang out and be okay right here and right now exactly like I am and recharge. Now, um, now maybe my perspective is skewed as a, a card-carrying introvert is particularly important, but I, I know that that's important uh, for even the most outgoing of people is to, is to take some downtime and to realize that this is not... I'm not copping out. You know, I'm not giving up. I'm not failing to contribute. I'm doing something very important. You know, even plants at night, they rest and then they work on the growth uh, and, and work on being plants during the day and then rest at night. Got, got to rest. I have to rest. I'll keep it personal. <laughs> and you mentioned earlier about body work and massage and I had, had forgotten until you mentioned that how... I had to practice staying in my body. I couldn't even get to right here, right now, this moment in time. And that helped me connect. You know, oh, I'm having this feeling in my shoulder and they're rubbing the knot out of that and I can stay present for that. I don't have to leave. I don't have to put my mind someplace else. I don't have to imagine that I'm on a tropical beach somewhere. And so learning to focus my mind to stay present under whatever circumstances there are, whether it's it's an uncomfortable piece of body work that's being handled or whether it's a, a, a discussion with somebody on a topic I don't really want to to uh, get engaged with, that, you know, being able to stay present in the right here, right now was something that I, I needed to work on, I had to cultivate. And it led me to something somebody said um, one time. They said, it, it, may, it may not be okay, but I am okay. And so that helped me to separate circumstances from who I am in the world. 
that I, I am not the circumstance that is occurring right now. I might have some pain, but pain isn't isn't the totality of my experience. And that was very helpful to me to be able to do that. Yeah, I, I think that's hugely important. And, and it has been uh, for me as well. And it, it's reminding me of um, a practice that I've done. And I do consider it a practice is uh, weekly counseling. You know, I've been doing weekly counseling for years now. And um, sometimes, you know, counseling can can get kind of a bad rap. Uh, people might assume that, you know, there's, quote, something wrong uh, with me, and that's why I, quote, need to go to counseling. But I think of it more in terms of a gym. Like if, if I knew someone that went to the gym uh, every week and was serious about that discipline, um, I wouldn't say to them, Oh man, you go to the gym all the time. You must be really out of shape. You know, you must, you must really have a problem with, well, no, actually they don't. They're really in shape because, uh, they go to the gym all the time. I think it's essential, um, in spiritual growth to be, uh, doing that kind of thing. And, and I know that it's been super helpful to me. I uh, did the same thing, had years and years of counseling, and I feel like it was a tune-up because, you know, they talk about how the airplane um, is not a smooth arc between California and Hawaii. You know, it right. it uh, zigzags, you know, you, you, you're you headed in a general direction, then you make a course correction, then a general direction, and you make another course correction. And so you're off course more than you're on course. And for me, my counseling experience was more about keeping me on course as I practice these new uh, experiences, these new tools, these new ideas in my life about how to move between um, the dysfunction that I had learned and as these ideas and thoughts came became conscious and I was willing to relieve to release them, how to stay between the lines, you know, and, and so that was immensely helpful to me. Um, you know, so I stopped trying to manipulate the outcomes. I focused on principles and the process and allowed people, you know, they talk about love and tolerance, allowed tolerance to, to guide me as I learned how to accept and love other people. I got to a place uh, after some time uh, that, that you were just sharing about that the way I describe it is that I don't, I don't need the outside world to align with my definition of okay in order for me to be okay. So being able to distinguish um, my own experience, my own identity from that which is going on around me uh, is, is not nearly as important as it used to be. And that's a much that that is a way that I can live confidently. And the last thing I'm going to add here is that if it's cold, I wear a coat. You know, there's some very common sense uh, ways that uh, you know it doesn't have to be about you know is that person okay? Are they doing it right or whatever? Hey, how about this? If it's cold out, I'll wear a coat. If it's raining, I'll take an umbrella because uh, the cold is not going to dictate dictate my experience. If I know to bring a coat, the rain is not going to dictate my experience if I know to bring an umbrella. So we've talked about moving from distrust to confident living through these powers of release and love. So now we need to move into action. So let us move into action. Uh, our unity's fifth principle states it's not enough to know these truths. We must live them. And that means we must each take action in order to grow and recover. So here's something that you can do right now and carry with you this week uh, to move from distrusting others in general uh, to living confidently using release and the harmonizing power of love. 
So think of a way that you might be cynical or distrusting in your life now that maybe you'd like to heal. Perhaps you have a habit of seeing the worst in new people when you meet them. Or do you usually think that nobody really cares what you think or feel? Or maybe you just want to be more comfortable with others in the world. What's important right now is just to pick one thing, a simple thing, that we can take into a time of contemplation. We can simply relax now and take it easy, knowing that there's no need to struggle. So as an example, let's use a, a general feeling of distrust when, when meeting other people. So we use a statement of power, or what we refer to in unity as a denial, to deny any power to this idea of distrusting others. You could say something like, my old hurts and fears no longer define me. They have no power over my life today. Repeat that a few times in your head or aloud and say it with conviction. My old hurts and fears no longer define me. They have no power over my life today. And follow that up immediately with a bold and positive affirmation of a new experience. So you could say, for example, I am a valued part of the community and I see others the same way. So then take a few quiet moments to relax and take it easy. There's no need to struggle with this. You just give thanks for your new experience in the world and move on with your day. My old hurts and fears no longer define me. They have no power over my life today. I am a valued part of the community and I see others the same way. So we've come to the end of our time together here today, and we hope that you found something that can help you on your recovery path. And we both bless you on your journey. Thank you to everybody and so much to my co-host, Reverend Dan Beckett, for the insights that were shared in our discussion today. Listeners, once again, if you would like, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, which is Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts and feedback. And we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. Until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth, and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on The Next Room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.